this is Leah, and welcome to this week's Hashtag For Paris podcast. It is wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. We're going to be focusing on being wise in our relationships. And the first reading for today is found in the book of James, chapter 3, and I'm beginning at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We all have kinds of wisdom that we are seeking for and trying to develop in our own life. I'm sure that if I asked you this in person, I'd have a number of people uh, respond very vocally. And the question is, have you ever had your wisdom teeth removed? Now I know that people who've had this, and I've had this myself, have discovered that it's a rather unpleasant experience. But I began to wonder, why in the world are these teeth called wisdom teeth? And after a bit of looking around, I discovered that in the 17th century, this was the term given for these teeth that show up last in our mouth. Usually they begin to emerge when we are considered to be older and wiser, usually between the ages of roughly 16 to 24 or 25. So that's where the term wisdom teeth actually came, assuming we are older and wiser as these teeth begin to erupt in our mouth. My question is, well, if we have our wisdom teeth removed, have we lost our wisdom? I will leave that for you to figure out in your own personal experience. But I am convinced that wisdom is something that we all need, especially in our relationships with one another. We will discover that some of our relationships are very delightful, but there are other relationships that are rather difficult. So James says this in verse 18, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. So think about it this way, every day, in our relationships, we are planting seeds, and ultimately one day, there will be something that we will reap as a harvest. So are you planting seeds of anger or seeds of peace? Are you planting seeds of confidence or even seeds of insecurity? So the question we want to face with, come face to face with this morning or this afternoon or whatever time you're watching this is simply, 
how can I have good relationship with other people? And the answer is, I believe, be very wise in the way that you relate to people. The reality is, it's amazing how many people lack wisdom in this area in terms of how they relate to one another. So James in his letter, particularly in verse 17, gives us several characteristics about wisdom in our relationships with one another. Three of them are statements of what I will not do, and three of them are statements about what I will do. So the first thing that James wants us to understand, and I put this in my own language, is that I will not compromise my integrity. What he says is this, wisdom from God is pure. Now the word pure there in its original text means it is authentic. So if I am going to be a person of integrity, that means I won't lie to you, I won't try to manipulate you, I won't be deceitful in my relationships. In other words, I can trust you. And trust is really the bedrock of building any type of a relationship with another person. If you want that relationship to be strong, you need to be growing in trust because if you don't trust the other person, you're not really sure where you stand in that relationship. In the year 1921, Dr. Leonard Keeler and a city policeman devised what is now called the polygraph test, or sometimes more popularly referred to as a lie detector. And we kind of know how it works. Uh, you have equipment placed upon your hands, and uh, they ask you a series of questions, and the graph goes up and down, and they can read certain questions very specifically to see if you are telling the truth or if you are telling a lie. What Keeler found out was this. A lot of people are really dishonest. And in fact, there are ways that you can actually beat the lie detector test. Look what the words from Proverbs 10 tell us. A person of integrity walks securely. A person of integrity doesn't have to wonder, is what I've said true or false? they become very secure in their relationships because they live in such a way that what they are saying is absolutely true and they don't have to worry about having told a lie. In fact, I believe that if you want to be a really good liar, you better have a really, really good memory. The second thing that James would tell us is this. I will work at making peace in my relationships. You know, there are some folks who like to be argumentative. Uh, sometimes they like to fight. But a wise person is an individual who maintains harmony, and they don't intentionally try to provoke or antagonize another person. Well, there's lots of different ways that arguments and hostility can erupt. Let me just suggest two simple ways. The first one is, I start comparing you to another person. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you use this expression, 
You are just like, and sometimes it could be your mother or your father. And that gets people bristly when they hear that. Or another one is, well, when I was your age, this is what, and we go on to extol our own virtues at the same time comparing the lack of virtue with the other. The second way a lot of arguments erupt is through condemning, whereby we simply say, it's your fault. Or we use this expression, you always or you never. When people hear that, it's like a red flag before a bull. Because we're thinking to ourselves, I don't always do that, and I don't always act that way. But when we hear the words, you always or you never, like you never show up on time, you are never ready, there may be times when you have been ready. And so what that is doing is just simply laying on the guilt. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 20 these words, any fool can start arguments. The wise thing is to stay out of them. So what God wants us to do is to work at maintaining peace. And to do that, it is more than just trying to end conflict or hostilities. The biblical word around peace is shalom, which means God's highest good for you. And so what I want to do is to work at maintaining peace and seeking God's highest good for you in your life. But think about it. That's what God's done for us. He has attempted to make peace between us and himself. And we read this in Colossians 1. God has reconciled all things to himself through the death of Jesus on the cross. And so here we are in conflict with God because of our sin. What does God do? He comes and makes peace with us through the reconciling death of Jesus, whereby he died for our sins so that we can be in a harmonious relationship with God. The third thing James says is this, I won't ignore your feelings. In any relationship, I need to become mindful of the feelings that other people have. Now, to be honest, I don't always feel the same way that you might feel. But if I'm wise, I won't negate and I won't minimize your feelings. Uh, this past week, uh, a friend of our family we have known for years, their dog died. And this dog was an integral part of this family's life. And the woman of that household is grieving deeply for the loss of this dog. And you would almost think that she had lost a child. And I'm thinking to myself, well, when I was growing up, I had a dog. I had a German Shepherd. And I liked that dog. But I didn't have the deep feelings that this woman had. But imagine if I had said to her, well, it's only a dog. She would just close up, probably be more hurt than ever. And just because I don't feel the same way another person does, and I might not grieve the same way another person does, I should never, ever minimize their feelings. 
Proverbs 15 says these words. Sorry. Proverbs 15.4 makes this statement. Kind words bring life, but cruel words crush your spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Has your spirit ever been crushed by the cruel words that people have spoken? Have you ever seen this happen in relationships? It is so easy for us to hurt other people by the words that we speak. In Titus we read this, always be gentle to everyone. Now the word gentle has a lot of connotations in that cultural context. It's the word that is used to express a wild stallion that has been brought under control. So you can ride it, you can pet it, it will be there with you. Or if you've ever had a cut on your arm or your hand and an ointment has been placed on it to take the sting out of it, that's the word that is used. It is gentle. So in our relationships, we need to remember to be gentle with everyone. That's the source of wisdom. And then James says, we need to be open and we need to be teachable. A wise person can learn from others. So I have to ask the question, am I willing to learn from other people? Now I'm at an age and stage in life where I have been teaching and sharing information with people for years. But I also realize that I need to continually learn. So I have begun a process in what I would call reverse mentoring. And that is, I often speak with younger people and I say to them, tell me, what is your understanding about life and faith? Help me to understand your generation. I just had this conversation a couple of weeks ago with a very young colleague and I said, tell me the qualities and features of Generation Z and Alpha. How do we relate to that upcoming and younger generation? Because quite frankly, I want to know and I want to be able to understand. But there are some people who are not open and who are not teachable. Some people will say, my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. I'm sure you've heard that expression. Or another one is that I like, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. For some people, if a suggestion is made, they take it immediately in the form of a criticism and they become extremely defensive about what they are going to receive. A wise person, James says, learns from anyone. I've discovered this. There's usually an element of truth in every criticism that I have received. Now I want to take the criticism and weigh it carefully. And at times, if I'm really honest and I'm being criticized, I can become extremely defensive. When I was a young minister, the first church I served at was in the city of Ottawa. And I was, one, I was an assistant minister. And in this church, we had three services a Sunday. And one Sunday, I was the preacher. So remember, I'm fairly young, I'm fairly inexperienced, 
I'm about as green as grass. At the end of the first service, which was at 9.30 in the morning, I went to the door to greet people coming out of church and to connect with those who were coming in for the next service. People generally at the door have casual chit-chat. Sometimes they make comments uh, or references to what took place in the service. You kind of get the drift how it goes. One man came up to me and I said to him, Good morning. I'm so glad to see you. And uh, he's responded, Good morning. I have only one thing to say about the service this morning. That was a lot of BS that you spoke. Now, he didn't say the letters BS. He spelt the word out completely. I was kind of taken aback. And then he left. So I had to go into the second service thinking, is what I am speaking about, does it have any value? Is it just a lot of BS, as this man said? But then I began to think about it. He was known as someone who was always quite negative. He was a complainer. And I knew that even in his family relationships, there were struggles and challenges because his two teenage kids were in my youth program and I knew what it was like. So I began to weigh it in the light of that knowledge and I eventually dismissed his comments because he made those comments quite frequently to a lot of people. So here is the principle I have found out. If something is true, even in the form of a criticism, listen and learn. But if it's not true, just let it go. Proverbs 15, verse 2, makes this statement. A fool thinks they need no advice, but a wise person will listen to others. But James says... I will not focus on your mistakes if I am a wise person. You know, it's very easy to see the mistakes of others, but James encourages us to be full of mercy in our relationships. Do you hold onto the past of another person's life and use it as a leverage against them in terms of the present moment? Proverbs 19, sorry, 7, verse 9, says this. Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. Have you ever been the recipient of someone nagging? It goes on and on, and you think to yourself, will this never end? There's a story told of two men were walking down the street and they ran into each other and they had been old school chums, but they hadn't seen each other in about 15 years. And they said, let's go for coffee and chat. So it was late in the afternoon and they went for coffee and they got talking. And suddenly they realized several hours had passed by and time had swiftly uh, moved on. They had enjoyed their conversation greatly. And one man, as he looked at his watch, said, oh, oh, I better get home. Uh, I'm really, really late. So he went home. The next day, the two men connected. And they just simply said, it was so nice to be together. And the one guy said, well, when I got home last night, my wife was quite upset. And she became historical. 
He said, no, no, you mean hysterical. No, he said, my wife became historical. She was so upset that I was late that she continuously brought up everything from the past that I had done wrong. It was kind of that nagging, critical spirit. James says, do something else. Begin to show kindness and mercy. On November the 8th, 1987, Gordon Will Wilson and his daughter, whose name was Marie, went to a parade that was being held in Enniskillen in Northern Ireland. And they stood beside a brick wall. If you've been to Ireland, you will see many of these walls that are surrounding the neighborhoods. As the soldiers were on a march by, a bomb that had been planted by the IRA exploded, and the wall fell on them. At least a half a dozen people were killed instantly from the bomb, and Gordon and his daughter Marie were beneath several feet of bricks. Uh, Gordon was unable to move, and he felt someone underneath the bricks taking hold of his hand, and he realized it was his daughter Marie. And he kept asking her, are you all right? Are you all right? And as she spoke, her voice became weaker and weaker. And the last words that she spoke to him under that pile of bricks was this. Daddy, I want you to know I love you very much. Four hours later, after they'd taken her out from under those bricks, she was in surgery. But she died as a result of severe brain injury. Later, Gordon Wilson was interviewed on the BBC and the reporter said to him this question, how do you feel about those who planted the bomb that killed other people, including your daughter? And he said, I bear no ill will. And I pray tonight, as I pray every night, that God will have mercy on them and forgive them. Later, Wilson became a senator in Northern Ireland. And he was asked, how can you actually forgive such a monstrous act? And he said, I remember Marie's last words to me were words of love and kindness and mercy. And he said, as I have received God's grace in my life, I want to express that grace in the way I relate to others by showing them grace and mercy. And that's how I'm able to forgive them. And Wilson continued as a senator and is noted for his work in peace and reconciliation. Finally, James says, if I'm wise, I will be authentic. Now the word authentic means is I will be sincere, or I will be without wax. Now, in the culture of that day, people had pottery. And if a pot dropped, they would sometimes put a little bit of wax on it and glue it back together. And the only way you could tell it was repaired was if you held it up to the light. So I was thinking about that, and I brought along today a water bottle. Now, all of us have drank from one of these plastic water bottles. When I traveled to the developing world, 
One of the things that I never ever do is drink the water from a tap. Uh, that's just a precaution you need to take because many illnesses come from waterborne diseases. What I ask for is water brought in a bottle. But I ask them, do not unscrew this tap. Because here's what's happened in some countries. They find a discarded water bottle. They will take it, fill it with water from a tap, screw the tap back on, but then they take a small amount of wax and seal it around there. So it looks like it is perfectly good. So what I want to do is to do this. I want to turn this and hear that pop as the cap is released. And you notice here on the bottom, there is a small amount of the plastic where it has been attached. And when I hear that, I know that this water is safe to drink. In other words, it is authentic, it is pure. There's a quote that we need to understand that I think is, is kind of really important. Um, in, in terms of Proverbs 28, being authentic people, and Proverbs 28 says, you will never succeed in life if you hide your sins. In other words, real people will see my weaknesses. I will be honest. And that's one of the things that I love about the Bible. It presents people authentically. Think, for example, the Apostle Paul. We consider him one of the greatest Christians of the early church. But there are moments when he despaired. There are moments when he was discouraged. And he didn't try to hide that and always say, I have a smile whenever life is happening. No, he talked authentically about who he was. Or think of the Apostle Peter. There he was, a man who boasted his love for Jesus, but we know how he ultimately cursed him and denied him prior to the crucifixion. That is the reality of Scripture. It presents people in an authentic manner. There's this wonderful quote from Harry Hine. It's not the greatest in terms of English language, but he says this, be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. In other words, am I genuine? In the words of Flip Wilson, what you see is what you get. We need to be real. So how do I become a wise person? There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge comes often through education and learning experiences in life. But wisdom, we are told, is a gift from God. Paul writes these words in Colossians 2. The secret is Christ in himself. Now notice this. In him lie hidden all God's treasures of wisdom. You want to be wise in relationships? We need to have the wisdom of God. The way we begin to discover the wisdom of God is to allow Christ to come into our life because in Him we find the hidden treasures of God's wisdom. 
And as we live out our life with him day by day, he will shape and develop our character. And we will become the person who is really, really wise. And the wonderful result is this. Not only will you grow in your relationship with God, but your relationships with others will get better and better. May that be the reality for each one of us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to know that in you lie hidden the wisdom of God. And as we open our life to you, may we receive your wisdom, which can transform our life day by day. We all struggle in relationships, but by your grace, we know that they can get better and we can be the people that you want us to be. May that become our hope and our certainty. For we pray this through Jesus. And now may the God who has called you to be his, may the God who lives within your heart by faith through Christ Jesus our Lord be the one who fills your day with gladness and joy. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris, our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 1030 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispresb.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B dot C-A. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, We have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone.